I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Oh, for fuck. Why do you keep bringing up Gareth Southgate? <laughs> Gareth Southgate is a fucking prick. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. What a shocking result for Fulham. If you're serious about staying in the Premier League, you really have to take points against Aston Villa. You can't be losing to Aston Villa. The worst team in the league, as we've discussed over and over and over again the last few weeks. That is a a bad, bad day at the office for Scott Parker and his men. Like, going 1-0 up against a team who have failed to come from behind all season is one thing, but losing to Villa is a whole other kettle of fish. And especially at Villa Park, where they have just been dire and seemingly going from bad to worse. But, but... We did it. We finally come from behind. We went 1-0 down. We stared adversity straight in the face. And we came back. We came back and won. And it wasn't even that hard. It only took nine minutes to put the game to bed. On a day we were expecting Jack Grealish to come back, we witnessed the resurrection of Mahmoud Trezeguet. I, I know he's not a Christian, so I hope he doesn't take that take that too badly. But he'll, he'll get what I'm com- where I'm coming from. I mean, you cannot kill this guy. You, you can't. You can't hate him. And yet again, he delivers when Aston Villa need him most. He delivers when nobody else will even look up. Mahmoud Trezeguet comes to the rescue. We, we, like we'll get into maybe the greatest thing in a, in a second, Liam. But as well as Trezeguet coming onto the pitch and saving our arses, basically, the system changed, and you know, like you have to ask yourself. Did Fulham's goal save Villa in reality? Like, was that the thing that actually got Villa out of trouble because Dean Smith was forced into making a change that I don't think he would have otherwise made? I was thinking about it 
watching the first 60, 70 minutes of that match in Villa, they were just they were just terrible again. And I, I was thinking, like, you know, if you compare Sheffield United from last season to this season, how everyone's just found them out. I was looking at this now thinking, Villa must be the easiest team they prepare against. Like, you know how they're going to set up the whole way through the team. You know what everybody's going to do. And the, the subs are predictable. Like, you know that Trezeguet is going to come on for El Ghazi. And you know that, well, this is what we all thought. That Barkley was going to come on for Truri and Davis was going to come on in the last four minutes when nothing was happening. But because Fulham scored, because Villa were so shit and now they were behind, he had a react and he went 4-4-2. Big Davis started causing consternation up there. And Villa got back into the game because they had the ball further up the pitch. Welcome to the podcast. We've won, Liam. Yeah, absolutely amazing. What did we learn today? You don't need three midfielders against Scott Parker's Fulham. <laughs> you don't need John McGinn to tip of those three. And don't get me wrong, McGinn probably had one of his best games of the season. Yeah. But you don't want him or need him at the t- top of a midfield against Scott Parker's Fulham. We learned you need to move the ball and move it fucking quickly. And that you beat shit teams like this. You have to play with energy and intensity. And Villa... They play that game in reverse. You start these games flying out of the traps, matching the shit team for effort at a fucking minimum. Your quality will eventually show out. You'll get your goals. And then, and only then, do you start playing at the now customary snail's pace of Aston Villa. <laughs> I think the biggest lesson could be that Villa have to stop playing as if they have Jack Grealish in the team when yeah. they don't. Because... And I don't want to shock anybody here. Anwar El Ghazi is not Jack Grealish. <laughs> I'm not talking about the system. Like we, we, we can't play the control type of football that Dean Smith wants to play if we don't have Jack. This isn't a formations thing. If we don't have Jack, we can't play slow because Jack is the only player we have that can flick the switch and change the tempo. He's the only player that can see a pass between two banks of four. The only player that has the courage to play that pass against a set defence. He's, he's the only player that continually demands the ball when he has players around him. The only player that forces an imbalance whenever a team is set. Like, Jesus, Jack this is really good, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. but, but you're bang on. Like, this is the thing that I was thinking. And look, I'll get into El Ghazi later. His, his uh, shortcomings are definitely intensified because you're right he, he's replacing Grealish like that is ridiculous that you've gone from one of the best players if not the best player in the league to El Ghazi like that's not acceptable but I, I get that Dean Smith likes this system and obviously it's brought about success for the most part this season but if if you have to play El Ghazi to play this system and this is your preferred system like it shouldn't be your preferred system because it's like the, you're shoehorning El Ghazi in to make it work. And it doesn't work then because of that. And the way, when I was saying that Villa must be the easiest team to prepare against, at their very worst, which is most of the time nowadays, you you know what every single player is going to do in the ball. You're talking about a snail's pace. Like, it's so obvious. It must be it must be phenomenally simple to trap Villa. Kanza gets the ball, he plays it to Cash. Cash gets the ball, he plays it to Terori. Terori never looks at the fullback. This is like, I mean, when Villa are trying to build from the back, Terori is obviously good in the final third, but you have to work to get there. But what largely happens during the game, Terori gets it with his back 
to the fullback, and then he either plays it back or tries a fucking crossfield ball that's inevitably going to get cut out or going to land in our box after after it goes sky high into there. Um, who, who else? Mings Mings gets the ball and he just hits it over the top straight into the keeper's hands. Target crosses any chance he can get. Dougie plays it to Mings who hits it over the top. Sanson runs into a dead end and you know and doesn't give it away largely, but he runs into a dead end, has to turn around, which is pointless. El Ghazi doesn't do anything. And Watkins is there watching all this unfold, thinking, I'm a good striker. Can somebody come up here and join me? And this is repeating over and over and over. These same players doing the same thing. And it's just far too easy for the defence to just keep them on the periphery. And Villa are just far too peripheral. And then when you... I, I know uh, I, I can sound very simplistic and very caveman-esque sometimes, but when you land a big man up beside a very, very good striker, an excellent striker, and, and Davis is more than a big man. He's a big man who's got an amazing touch and he can lay in people and he can bring others into the game. Then everything changes because you've got a higher platform. You got that platform with Jack Grealish. And like you say, he is not there. So stop trying to do the same thing. Yeah, like it's, all, it's all well and good having a preferred system and you want the manager to figure that out. You want them to go out and recruit, but you can't recruit mid-season. This is like an international manager who has a swathe of injuries and just picking the same team. Your preferred system has to be based on the players that you have available. Yeah, You can't just keep playing the same way, ignoring the fact that Jack Grealish isn't there. And we found a different way tonight and it worked out brilliantly. I mean, there is a huge caveat there. The Fulham are shit. I don't care how good a form they were in just before the international break there. They're absolutely fucking woeful. They've made a huge improvement since we last played them, but the players are still shit and you have to be beating them. That's why I was so pissed off during that game. It wasn't just because we were losing. It was because we were losing yet again to another shit team. Well, the good news is is that Jack really should be back for the next game. <laughs> Ah, oh, I'm fucking sick of it, mate. I mean, what the fuck is going on? Just level with us. You know those tossers that you've arranged to meet up with at 8 o'clock and they ring you at 5 past to say, sorry, I'm running late? <laughs> well, I fucking know you are because I'm not and you're not here. And you nearly always follow that up with, I'm just around the corner five more minutes and then turn up 15 minutes later. You've just been late twice now. you pissed me off twice. Yeah. And why did you lie anyway? I'm a big fucking boy. And you were five minutes from being found out as well. If you're going to lie, make it worthwhile and give yourself some reprieve. I mean, you've only given yourself five minutes of me not thinking you're a cunt. Was it worth it? You don't fucking lie to the people you love. Does Dean Smith love us or not, Conan? Does he love the Villa fan base? Stop lying to us, Dean. Where's Jack? Like, that's seven games now out of 29 like that's just short of a quarter of the season you know i was trying to think of an equivalent imagine all this time jürgen klopp was telling liverpool supporters that van dyke should be back soon <laughs> or not soon the next game meanwhile liverpool's form is just going from indifferent to catastrophic like exactly what's happened to aston villa and uh, they're just being told over and over don't worry he's going to be back now Obviously, he doesn't have a an ACL injury like like Van Dyke, but we don't know what his injury is. We've been told like he missed six games for shin discomfort. 
what the fuck is that? Is it a broken leg? Is it shin splints? Because there are two big extremes there. And one is very worrying. Actually, both are very worrying for very different reasons. And I, I get that players can get injured as well. You know, like Grealish can come back and then get injured again. But we we could understand this more if we knew what his first injury was. Like we all saw him training during the week. And I know now, like it goes hand in hand with a bad run of form too. Like not just results, but the way we're playing. And then the sort of, I don't want to say cloak and dagger, but the, the lack of clarity and, and information. Like if we all knew that Grealish chipped a bone in his leg, and he tried to get back this week, then everyone would be like, ah, oh, shit, it just, it's flaring up on him again. Yeah, like, you know, don't bother risking him against Scott Parker's film. But we don't know anything. <laughs> again, we're expecting him back. And, and what, I see a lot of people now, I know there's a lot of, um, a, a, a lot of, like, division amongst Aston Villa fans with everything this season. I mean, everything. And now it's happening with this. But an, an empty vacuum will be filled and because there's no information and there's nobody coming forward to say, here's what's happening or here's what's happened, then everybody's like throwing their tuppence worth in and they're all paranoid and they're they're arguing and there's conspiracy theorists and then there's people coming back against the conspiracy theorists. You know, there's obviously a middle ground there somewhere, but the only thing I would say is that it, it seems strange to me that, that Grealish isn't there watching the match. It's at Villa Park. He was you know training all during the week. He's the club captain, and not only that, the players obviously, well, they obviously love him, and they obviously rely on him a lot, they lean on him, and I, like, I would expect, I have no idea what, like, what he was doing today, or, or you know, what, what his plan is for recovery, but I would expect him to be there at Villa Park, not only watching the match, but being in the changing room and talking to the players and you know, giving them a G up and then being there afterwards and being the captain, the club captain, never mind the team captain. And because he's not there, it just makes me think, what is going on? Yeah, like a lack of transparency has never served anybody well in any circumstances. Just tell us what's wrong and we'll, and we'll, fig- we'll figure out how to deal with it ourselves. But yeah. we need to know what it is we're dealing with. I can't get over this until I know what's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Just let me know. And... It's it's not helping. Like you know, nobody nobody's thinking about it less that we don't know. Exactly. It, you know, it's it's like disguising, telling somebody that somebody's dying and they're obviously getting worse and worse and worse. Like you know, you, you try, this is a terrible analogy. I'm going to stop. But like I've just found out seven times now that Jack Grealish is injured instead of just finding out once. <laughs> yeah, that's a better way of putting it. What did you think of the penalty shout? Uh, like, I mean, the fact that Fulham have a fucking narcoleptic playing centre midfield means <laughs> we deserve the penalty. What in God's name is Lamina playing at? Are you telling me you don't think that Fulham should be punished for their whole team stopping playing because John McGinn screamed? <laughs> the ball's in your fucking box. What are you doing? I would have given Villa two penalties just to punish that nonsense. Grow up. You stop playing because another player screamed out loud. Fucking hell. Yeah. Here's where I stand on it. I just think like, I thought we were so bad in that first half and showed no attacking intent whatsoever. We put a couple of balls in from set pieces that led to nothing. I just thought like we don't deserve a shot, a free shot from 12 yards out. So don't want it on that level. Uh, we only got it, <laughs> like, yeah, 
maybe Fulham being shit is not a reason to not give us a penalty, but like you know, I don't think we should be rewarded for you know for McGinn diving like a a desperate so and so, and that just made everyone stop. And like yeah, they shouldn't have stopped obviously, but then. On top of all that, nobody would have put it away anyway. Elgazi would have stood over it, and he would have tried to pass the ball to somebody who wasn't there. <laughs> oh yeah, ah, uh, uh, like you're right. We we didn't. We definitely didn't deserve anything from that first. The last fifteen minutes, the only time in the game we did deserve anything from, and it would have been particularly galling for Elgazi to score because he was having such a fucking stinker as well. But it might have been the lift he needed. We know what sort of confidence player he is. I mean, yeah. the first ball he tried to control it just bounced off him, and then that's him done. If I was Dean Smith, I would just be watching games, and if Elgazi takes a bad first touch, just take him off. It's not getting any better. He's going to have a stinker. Well, we've got some Elgazi coming up on WhatsApp winges. See you there. All right, here we go. Douglas Louise really needs to bleach his fucking hair again. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's if it's just his uh his hair color that's affected his performance. It's a lot more serious, a lot more systemic in his in his attitude at the minute. He's just playing so so poorly, and tonight should have been a perfect opportunity for him because he had another ball player sitting next to him. He had John McGinn doing doing all the running for him in front of him, like. Fulham, Fulham are okay coming through the middle, but it's still, it's still only Fulham. Like you know, Loftus Cheek isn't the player that he was two years ago. Sorry, isn't the player that he thinks he was two years ago. <laughs> and Douglas Louise was too bad. He was too slow, and this was a big, big problem with Villa tonight. Initially, I thought it looked good that we had Douglas Louise and Sanson there, and John McGinn was playing a lot better. But like it was just, it was energy, and he was brilliant defensively, John McGinn. Douglas Louise and Sanson behind them are too slow on the ball. They weren't taking any risks. They weren't playing the passes when they needed to. They weren't whipping it out to the two wingers. Yeah. Like, if you don't play that ball to El Ghazi and Trori straight away, then they're fucked. You, you can't just let them have two players in front of them. You have to get it out to them when they're isolated with the fullback. It can't just be, let's ping it around here. Let's give it to Mings. Let's get it back off them. Get the fucking ball moving. So, this is it, right? For a centre midfielder in Aston Villa's engine room, like whatever about mistakes, and we can leave aside Douglas Louise crying out to be sent off as well, which you know two big things to leave aside, but he's just not imposing himself on the game. Like I was watching with a keen interest today because obviously we've been we've just been overrun, we've been outplayed, we've lost the battle in the middle of the ground like over the last seven, eight weeks, like you name it, like you know, probably longer. Good centre midfielders, you know. You know, sorry. And again, like I'm looking to see, right? Why is this happening? And one one of the one of the excuses you could give Louise and whoever's in there alongside him is that nothing else is happening around the team. Like there's no movement. Grealish isn't there. People don't know where to be. They're not making good runs. They're not controlling the ball, right? But but good centre midfielders order people around. They force people in the positions. They control everything. You don't. You don't stop hearing them talking. You don't stop hearing them whinge when you're not doing the right thing. They tell you to come short. They tell you to go long. They tell you to move right, left, and they move up the pitch. Like the analogy I always give about Roy Keane, and like you know, this is <laughs> anybody who hasn't watched Roy Keane just think he's a he was a breaker who was tough. Like Roy Keane was a 
an exceptional footballer, like with an amazing brain and amazing touch, and knew how to keep things ticking and knew how to develop momentum. And uh, Modric is the closest thing I've seen to Keane in that it's like a brick wall moving up the pitch and closing in on the team and not letting the other team out and forcing them all further and further into their box while he just continuously pushes passes through to his teammates. And even even if they lose it, he's there getting it back and moving it forward again. And Douglas Louise is nowhere near that. Now, you know, I'm saying he's nowhere near Roy Keane level, but he's not even getting close to, to trying to dominate a match in there. Like, Sanson obviously isn't either. I know he's newer, but I was looking at those two today thinking... What they're giving us right now, we might as well have Nakamba there because these two are more of a liability. Like, they're not giving us anything, but like Sanson had a couple of decent runs, but nothing came of him. Like, he wasn't taking anybody out of the game. He ran into, like I said, a dead end and then popped it to Target or whoever was coming behind him, Mings. You know, like, they they weren't giving us anything on the ball and (laughs) they were definitely giving us less protection than what Nakamba would have given us and I actually thought we might as well play him there now because these two aren't going to help us win the game and yet again they didn't yeah and that as soon as you're right to mention the the red card that Douglas Louise was begging for I mean he's an absolute liability whenever he gets a yellow card not not only because he's really likely to get sent off as well because he cannot tackle but because he just absolutely refuses to tackle in as well. He gets he always gets the balance wrong. He pulls out of tackles. He's so conscious of the yeah. incoming red card that he lets players run past him through on goal. And it's just like he had, he had another really bad game. And the thing the thing that we always say, like we do forgive him for not being brilliant defensively, is because he's supposed to be fucking good on the ball. Yeah. And you're right, he has to get it, he has to play it into walk. He's got all like Watkins in front of him. Yeah, the ball sticks to no player more than Ollie Watkins in the whole league. Play it into his feet. Go get it off him again. You've got John McGinn, McGinn buzzing around in front of you. You've yeah. got loads of options. Keep the ball moving. Don't just keep dropping in next to Mings and getting it off him and then looking up and then just rolling it back to Mings. How many times did he roll it back to Mings blind as well? And <laughs> Mings didn't even know it was coming. Like Mings gives the ball to a centre midfielder. He's not expecting it back. Move the ball forward for fuck's sake, Dougie. And and you're right, like McGinn is up there. Like try him out at number ten. He he's like only delighted to be further up the pitch. And he was given I I remember him being played the ball once, just you know, straight from midfield into that number ten position. And that's when he he had that shot, but like it was a lovely move, great touch under pressure, takes the as I say, somebody's coming back to, to tackle him and he just takes his space brilliantly. I think that's McGinn using his arse perfect. He just knocks the ball across, expecting that's where the, the pressure's coming from, the defender, and then he's away up the pitch because he's taking that space. He hits it wide then, but they didn't even try that pass more. Like that, that's such an easy out for you. When you, as you say, Watkins and McGinn are there in front, like turn around and start playing ball. Yeah. Stop giving it to the centre-backs. And the most annoying thing about that was it was fucking Dougie Louise that played that ball. He rattled it into McGinn. So we know he can fucking do it. So just do it. Yeah. Second WhatsApp wind. You're not going to like this. I would rather play Barkley out left instead of El Ghazi. Oh, fuck off, Connor. <laughs> like, no, you go first. You need to fucking grow up. <laughs> like, Ross Barkley 
shouldn't be like I would I would release Ross Barkley back to Chelsea now at this stage. And we saw today we don't need him. He's like, he's he's not. We've given him enough chances. He's not coming on to impact or change the game, and he's certainly not going to fucking do that on the left wing. <laughs> but again, big fucking steamliner Ross Barkley out in the left wing, <laughs> as if he's going to speed things up for us. But Getting what, like, stuck in the Suez Canal, Ross Barkley. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> but what the fuck's El Ghazi doing out there? Like, you know, it doesn't matter that Barkley's a steamliner. Like, El Ghazi's not using his speed out there. Like, El Ghazi doesn't even... Like, he obviously can't touch the ball. He can't play in tight areas. He can't win a header. Which makes it really bizarre that they then lost every centre up to the left for El Ghazi to go up for. That's, that's a side note. El Ghazi doesn't even make a run to take somebody out of the way, a, a decoy run. He, do, he doesn't he doesn't help out Target if he's coming forward or Sanson. He doesn't he doesn't pull anybody. He doesn't he doesn't do anything. Like by far and away he won the Ashley Westwood. Oh, he was playing a ward tonight. So it's like I'm only pointing out Barkley as if like that's how low I I have El Ghazi now in the pecking order. He like he is not giving us anything like all he's doing is giving the ball away over and like every time he got the ball he gave it away i i'd have to watch the match back but i would be surprised and, and i'm not this isn't hyperbole i would be surprised if he completed a pass today um or or anything like a dribble that didn't result in him losing the ball or a cross that made it to somebody I, I, honestly i would i stand to be corrected but if i if i find a clip of him completing a pass he can play instead of barkley next time <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the major difference is that we've seen El Ghazi play well before. We yeah. haven't seen Ross Barkley play well. I mean, Villa destroyed Liverpool, so I don't think that game counts. Like, Ross Barkley has been shit for Villa for so long. El Ghazi has had moments of absolute brilliance this season. He scored five goals in December. We know yeah. that El Ghazi can play well. The problem with El Ghazi is that he plays like this far too fucking often. It's always when he's being asked to to play tight when a team's setting up defensively, and then he has to start. But again, I, like I can, I can really it comes back to the, the first conversation we had about the system and about playing against Scott Parker's Fulham. I can really see why El Ghazi was picked tonight because he was expecting Fulham to be like this. He was expecting them to be really tight and really aggressive. And whenever a team's like that, you need somebody who can just have a bit of magic, a moment of absolute brilliance. But the problem with El Ghazi is. Yeah, you can risk it. You can think, oh, fuck it. Well, Gassi might be on it today, but he's more than likely not going to be. Yeah. But he can be, so you just can't resist it sometimes. Third WhatsApp wins. Respect Trezeguet, you fucking cunt. <laughs> that's directed at you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. To hold my hands up there, I wasn't, I wasn't best pleased whenever you were calling for El Gassi to be taken off after about 10 minutes. <laughs> because I was not expecting that from our little Egyptian prince. But Jesus Christ, does he love a running? I mean, like, once you get to the last 10 games of the season, Trezeguet is the best player in the league. And I should have known that, but more worryingly, Dean Smith should have known that. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace that he doesn't start the game, given that we know, like, if he could extend his last 10 games of the season into the rest of the season, he's a Ballon d'Or contender every year. Just for context, I um yeah, I think it was after 19 minutes. I, I and I was being serious. I was like, I would take El Ghazi off right now because we knew you know, it it wasn't on us and it wasn't going to be one of those games. I know the percentages were low, and 
probably better percentage than Ross Barkley having a good game. Definitely a better percentage than Ross Barkley having a good game, so it was worth it. But after after 19 minutes, you could tell like th- this isn't going to happen for Legazi. He's going to get worse than he did. And uh, I think that was your response. Like, oh, who the fuck are you going to bring on? Trezeguet? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I expected that. But yet again, this guy, this Trezeguet fella comes on, misses a massive chance, the best chance of the game. And he keeps putting himself in that position. I just I just think there's something so beautiful about that. You know, when somebody just doesn't matter that they've missed that chance, they'll keep putting themselves into the position and keep trying again. And on top of that, he just... Uh, he just shows for the ball more. He, he just gives you more options. His movement is good. Like, I know I was calling him a headless chicken, and it didn't help that he was running around on his neck that last time, like a like a glitch in FIFA. But for the most part, like, that energy is good. It causes a bit of panic in the opposition defense. It gives people something to look at. And he can touch the ball and pass it better than El Ghazi can. And Jesus, he delivers. Like like you say, every time we're, we're asking him to, to come up big for us, he doesn't like there we are. We haven't come from behind in a game. And Trezegi, one nil down, comes on to the pitch late and bangs two fantastic finishes. And one is a drilled scuttering cross from Mings. And Trezegi just connects it perfectly into the bottom corner. And the other is just a lovely little volley. Has to get it into that near post. And he does it like a like a seasoned finisher. And yeah, yeah, like you know, we talk about the Andreas Weiman comparisons and stuff. I think this guy's ahead of him now because he's just delivered on big occasions when Villa really have needed him most. Yeah, and for a player who you know has been described as a headless chicken, he, he showed absolutely amazing control for both finishes. Two completely different types of finish, but they did just require a lovely little bit of nuance and control, and not losing your fucking head. But uh, the first chance he missed as well, like I was. I was so pleased with myself. I was, you know, writing messages. Do you ready? There, you fucking go now. There's your, there's your dress again. <laughs> I mean, like you can't just throw yourself at a football and hope it hits off you and goes into the net. I know diving headers are difficult, but fucking grow up, dress again. Yeah. And then, boy, did he grow up. Got two more WhatsApp winges before we get into the awards. No team has ever accumulated more block shots in one game of football than Aston Villa tonight. Yeah, it was fucking pathetic. And John McGinn was at his worst winding up like a fucking Animaniacs cartoon. Just <laughs> moving his foot in a circle before he spanks it like the Roadrunner. Just hit the shot if you're hitting it. You're not, tr- mm. you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you suckering everybody into this? Everybody knows what's happening. Just hit the shot. You don't have to line it up. The amount of times, like, not even just the shots, they, were, they actually turned down a lot of better opportunities to shoot and just ran into traffic. There was one where McGinn decided he was going to take a pass, 10 Fulham players in the box, roller and just shoot. Bertie T did it a couple of times. Yeah. Just, ah, uh, they were all over the place. Like the, that, the first 75 minutes of that game were as bad as Villa have been. And luckily enough for them and the listeners of this podcast, they had the last 15 minutes. Yeah, well, on that uh, leads nicely into the last WhatsApp one. Only Newcastle and Sheffield United are worse than this Villa team. And I'm not even sure they are worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, like, we, we definitely got out of jail tonight. And switching the system works so well. And that's another thing that Trezeguet gives you. Once you've got Trezeguet on the pitch, you can go to a 4-4-2 because he's a type of winger that you can rely on to tuck in, to give you the energy to get back 
So it's not yeah. as dangerous. It's not like you're playing two out and out wingers then. You're playing somebody who will go forward and get back and will also tuck in, cover across, run himself into the ground. And were it not for that system change, yeah, like Villa were Villa Villa had been up until this point, relegation fodder form. Well, that makes it all the more exciting heading into games against Liverpool and Man Fucking City. We'll see you at the award categories. Roy Keane thinks Scott Parker is a dweeb. <laughs> One single moment, your whole life can turn round. I stand there for a minute, staring straight into the ground. Looking to Roy Keane thinks everybody's a dweeb. I just thought every time he cut back from Parker being interviewed, for some reason he's been interviewed two or three times before the game, and uh, talking shit obviously, and, <laughs> and every time he cut back, it looked like Roy Keane was holding on a laugh, and it looked like you know Carragher had that little knowing look that he has sometimes, you know when he knows what somebody's laughing at or whatever. He's a proper football bloke, you know, and he, he tries to pretend that he's intelligent as well, so then pretentious football writers can get behind him. Scott and Roy King, just that's absolute fodder for Roy King, you know, he, he, he snuffs that out immediately. He hates bullshit, and you're right, he hates Scott Parker. Like even at the end of that game, the story isn't fucking Scott Parker. The camera's on Scott Parker's face. Aston Villa have just climbed into the Champions League places, never to be dislodged. That's the story. It's not fucking Scott Parker getting spanked again. The Ronnie Rosenthal Award. I've got three nominations. Cash his ball into Watkins, lands at his feet. This is very early on. This is the changing of the game. If Watkins can wake the fuck up and <laughs> his touch is actually all right and he doesn't even realize he has it and it's gone. It just it just lets it sort of trickle away behind him and somebody clears it. And it's like it was right there for you to just get it out of your feet and score and he didn't seem to realize he had a chance. Yeah, I think just follow that. Or actually, the do whatever you want, except let the ball go onto your foot. Yeah. And like it, both options were open to him. He was in between the two centre halves. They weren't getting to him in time. Yeah, take the touch and put it in the net. Volley it straight into the net. I think he was offside anyway, but you know, let's look at that afterwards. Put the ball in the net first. And then I have Douglas Louise with a, a Courtney House-esque header. Just 50p heading it completely out of danger when he when the, when the goal was on and Trezeguet was something very similar and I think Trezeguet's was the worst of them all. Douglas Louise's was absolutely pathetic. He's headed the ball before it's come in. Yeah. He's headed thin air and then the ball's just hit him on the head. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's embarrassing. And Trezeguet's, I mentioned that, like you can't just throw yourself at a football yeah. and hope it goes in. You, you, have, you, like, you have to do what Dougie did whenever the ball's there. Actually move your neck muscles and get your head around it. Yet again, it was another brilliant cross from Trerori to set up Trezeguet. Like, you know, like that must be frustrating for him that he's putting these on a plate for these guys and 
like both times, like Louise and Trezeguet looked like they were trying to get it out of, like they were trying to clear it, get rid of it the way Courtney Howes does it. And um, I, I just think it's Trezeguet, he's coming in the back post. He's got the time. He, it, I know you're saying diving headers are difficult, but it's, it's one of those diving headers that's going to make it a really easy finish because your body will just sort out all the power for you. And all he has to do is direct it. All he has to do is not yeah, let it bounce out towards the, the fucking sideline. I, I have Trezeguet. Like, you know, mentioning like Bertrand Ferrari, Lewis Newman sent us a a tweet. Old Bertie T's assist was a double cheeseburger with all the trimmings. Like, that's obviously the one for Ollie Watkins in the end. It's just roast the two guys and set up the goal. He's right foot. But, like, I mentioned him being in the final third and, and setting up these chances. Like, that's that's what he did. And he could have had more assists if somebody like Trezeguet wasn't, that's going to say, if he wasn't so shit, they won the game for us. Yeah, I mean, like, was the absolute shit show that Bertie T served up worth it for that bit of magic? It's, it's hard to say. Like, I think, I think particularly in the absence of Jack Grealish, Bertrand Rory is really, really important because he can do that. But he's so erratic, and he was looking for free kicks far too much tonight. There was one where he ended up giving away a free kick because he handled the ball and he was just lying on the ground because he didn't get the free. He's like. <laughs> The ref blows the whistle when it's a free, Bertrand. You're, you're lying on the ground there, and you still you're still in control. Of the ball's underneath your legs, underneath your feet. If anybody tries to get that, it's a free kick to you. So just stand back up and kick the ball out. Don't just pick it up with your hands. You're, you're playing association football here. Grow up. It hasn't worked out for you. You've dived. The tackle never came. So just keep playing football. But that cross into Trezeguet, the cross in for the goal. The, the ball he played out to target, I think, that ended up in the first goal. Yeah. He, like, he, he just he just has this in his game, and he's he's so... He is, he is so hard to resist, like I've said before, but I think the burger was made from a lot of off-cuttings from the, from the slaughterhouse floor tonight. I thought he was... <laughs> on balance, he was absolutely disgusting. Too processed for you? Oh, yeah, far too processed. Not but, good for you. Because remember earlier when I said if your system, your preferred system is relying, relying on El Ghazi. Like, that was a way stronger argument because initially I had written down if it's relying on El Ghazi and Trorori, then it's just not the right system. But the last 15 minutes just made me think more kindly of him. Made me want another burger and I think he helped win the game ultimately. So, um, so I'll stick with him for now. He gets the thumbs up ultimately because we've got nobody else really. <laughs> <laughs> The Tim Sherwood, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. John McGinn at number 10. Like, we've been critical of his use for a lot of the season and his performances just in general. He came off the back of three goals with Scotland. And more, more than anything, just a villain needed someone else up there. And you're actually bang on. Like, that's one of the things that I highlighted. His work off the ball up there was way better. Like, he's just... He's just a dog with a bone, you know, and he, like Ollie Watkins alongside him. It's a dangerous combination. There were a number of moments that Villa almost got big chances because of the work that they were doing in pressing Fulham. And like the, the one actually that Ferrari won back, that was from John McGinn's pressure. Ferrari wins it back, sets up Ollie Watkins, and the ref gave a free kick because the Fulham player fell on the ground. That's what, that's what happens. Like the Fulham player fell on the ground of his own volition. And the ref gave a free kick. Like you know, I said before that I don't blame any player who now time wastes because all they do is get rewarded for it. 
if we really want to stamp out diving and play acting from football, referees really need to stop giving free kicks every single time somebody hits the ground. Like, why would you not do it if you're a player? It's a safe way of making sure you get the ball back. Yeah, um, there, was, there was one at the end where, where Keenan Davis actually gets pushed in the corner flag and he doesn't go down. Yeah. And this is how bad it's gotten. I'm thinking, ah, oh, Keenan, all you have to do there is fall over and it's a free yeah. kick. <laughs> no. But McGinn at 10, I thought, um, yeah, you said he was one of his better games. I thought so, and I thought it was a, a good decision they put on there, if for nothing else, but to, to try something different. Look, I, I think what this really shows you is that McGinn, if Villa are progressing the way that everybody wants and the way the owners want, McGinn's in trouble next season because I, I think we've, we've seen tonight and we've seen all season, really, that he, that he can't play in midfield. And there's no way that Villa aren't going to sign two or three attackers to play behind Watkins next year. McGinn's best performance of the season came in Jack Grealish's position. So (laughs) McGinn might be used against better teams next year. But I can't see him staying in the team. Well, it actually feeds into the next uh, nomination. Because it's about the system as well, but... Bringing Keenan Davis on earlier. Now, I know it was enforced, but at least he did it. Like, you know, we would have been complaining if he didn't make that move early. So he does deserve credit for reacting. Like, you know, sometimes it's nice when, when a manager acts, but at least he reacted and he reacted in the right manner. And he threw Davis up top, who had a great game and helped change the game, definitely. But it also meant that McGinn went into a midfield too. And I might as well just give the third nomination for this category, which was the Ramsey substitute because I didn't, I didn't foresee that. Like I'm, I'm sure people were probably surprised when they saw Ramsey coming on. And to be honest, it's hard when you're chasing a game to think I'll throw on the tidy midfielder. Do you know? Like it's it's way easier to think I'll just get me some attackers. Like even God forgive me, give me Ross Barkley because <laughs> I remember him spanking a few a few shots into the net. I remember him setting up a few chances, but. He went with Ramsey so he could change the system. And Ramsey and McGinn in midfield. Again, the caveat is you're playing Fulham, who are trying to hang on. And you're playing Fulham anyway. Like That's that's a, a strong enough caveat. But the two of them worked well in that system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it really, it just strangled Fulham. I mean, you have to, you have to praise Dean Smith for for understanding that Fulham's threat had completely abated once they got their goal and for having the intelligence to see that what Villa needed was to inject a bit of fucking energy into this game. And Ramsey and McGinn as a midfield two were brilliant. And Ramsey was so far advanced tonight. Like, you know, McGinn was playing yeah, playing on his own at the back of the midfield and Ramsey was so far forward. He was brilliant when he came on. He was brilliant on the ball. He was throwing lads around the place. He ragdolled two players to the ground. They were looking for soft free kicks. The ref didn't give them because they were never foils. But he kept looking for the ball. He was popping it off. Ramsey was brilliant. And so was Keenan Davis. I mean, for the second goal, Tossin turns down the pass to the left back because he sees Troy move towards him. But like you're the one that's in trouble here, big man. I mean, like Davis is too fast, strong, aggressive. For you to be dicking around with the ball when he's around. Yeah. And Davis does absolutely brilliantly after he wins it. He's direct, he goes for the jugular, that which really, you know, 
symbolize the changes that Dean Smith had made. It was all about let's get fucking energy into this. Davis wins the ball back and just starts going towards goal. And then he has the quality at the end. His cross is absolutely perfect. And as we said, Trez does really well to control the volley. But it's just absolutely amazing to see see the big man get rewarded with an assist beside his name. Because he's, he's done that a lot. Yeah. He's played that well before. He's had those moments. But up until today, he's just never been rewarded with a goal contribution. It, it could be big for him because you could hear very clearly a lot of like the backroom team and a lot of the players saying, "Well done, Keenan. Well done." Like they were all buzzing, and they were like they, they were they weren't there wasn't fake praise. It was every time they said that he was doing something big, and I think that that'll be great for him. And you could see you could see the confidence, and again the way he was holding himself again. Then it reminded me I talked about the the post lockdown Keenan Davis when he came out with this sort of peacocking chest out, like you know yeah I've been I've been tearing it up and training like that like those little moments could be the the thing that changes it for somebody. And for the first time, I'm not thinking, where's Wesley? <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I, I actually have Davis to win this pop because he brought him on. Like he was the thing that changed the game. And it does deserve credit as well for the Ram- Ramsey sub, but like ultimately Davis was the thing that, that turned things. But I do love that very subtly Villa, Villa's midfield completely changed it was different from what it started with it, it was Sanson and Douglas Louise and then it ended with with McGinn and Ramsey you know when it ended with a 4-4-2 and Davis tearing it up up top and and you can see like you know finally like I, I think geez I must go back to the other podcast but I think we were saying let's give this boy a few more minutes rather than the last four minutes and yeah. there he, he gets he gets half an hour over half an hour whatever it was and it makes such a tangible difference to the team and that run you're talking about was the first time in that game where I went, go on. Do you know when yeah. you see that sort of excitement and someone opening up and somebody who's got positive intentions and they're looking dangerous? It was yeah. just like I was glued to it going, go on. Go, like, you know, and he did everything right from winning the ball back, from driving forward with direct intent and just completing the pass perfectly. Yeah, and he plays the right pass as well. It would have been very easy to try and play that to Watkins. You know, that was the... Not the easier pass necessarily, but it's the, it's the one you just might just play because he's closer to you. You might just play it into your striker. But he picks, he can see Trezeguet's completely free and he has the courage to loft the ball over to him. And once Trezeguet puts it in the net, everyone runs towards Trezeguet and you can just see in the background, Keenan Davis just turns around and does a little double fist pump to himself. He's fucking delighted. Class. Now, I'm sure he's delighted because Aston Villa have scored. Yeah. But he's, but he's I'm sure he's delighted for himself as well because he's fucking earned that. Yeah, more game time for Keenan. And, you know, it's like, I'm not saying he has to start, but don't be afraid to make that change sooner. And, like, again, Smith deserves credit tonight. Like, a lot of people are actually using that as a, a stick to beat him with. Look, he, he made the change until they got the win. Like, that's all you want your manager to do. But it should be good food for thought for him going forward, thinking, yeah, like, this guy, this guy can be trusted. And I'd say the players will look for that more often now as well because it did just bring a completely new dynamic and it got them all excited and got them further up the pitch. And I'm sure that shot of them afterwards and in the changing room was, was classic. <laughs> They've only beaten Fulham, but like, you know, those little, those little victories coming from behind, not going well. The team sort of coming together when Grealish isn't there. Somebody like Davis and Trezeguet changing things like that. That, that is big for a group. And 
it is nice to see them celebrating afterwards in the changing room. Not sure what Douglas Louise was celebrating, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a good unit. No, like initially, whenever I saw that photo, I was like, oh, fuck off. It is <laughs> Fulham, lads. But, you know, there, there are other things there. Villa have won a game that they've come from behind in for the first time. Villa have won a game that they've conceded in for only the second time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like these are these are big moments for that group of players. And they've won a game without Jack, really. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so it's it's not quite as terrible as I thought whenever I first saw it. Yeah. The Vyman meter going down, like, we don't need to talk about them anymore. Algazi and Douglas Louise, I have... Uh, I don't have anybody else. I'll let you come back if you have anybody else, but... Going up, I have Trezeguet, like the, the Trezeguet meter, um, Keenan Davis. And I've got Tyrone Mings going up as well. Is that controversial in your book? Look, Tyrone Mings does really, much like Dean Smith. So for the second goal, to, or for the first goal, sorry, Tyrone Mings does really well to sense that Fulham are not playing anymore. He knows that there's no space there. Even in that moment, he can see that there's space negated by by target, and he can go into that. And Fulham are hanging on; they're on the ropes. They don't; they're not interested in playing anymore. So he can go forward more. But I don't want Tyrone Mings in a position where he thinks he has to start impacting the game offensively. Ezri Conzo, no one knows what Ezri Conzo did today, but he was absolutely brilliant again. Yeah, <laughs> it was just everything he did was so clean, so tidy. He's so pissed off of Tyrone Mings whenever he mishits that pass. Like, let's be honest about that pass. It's a terrible, never mind the execution, it's a terrible decision for two reasons. Villa are playing Fulham and it's nil all. And Tyrone Mings is trying to play a back pass to his keeper when he's under no pressure. Get the fucking ball moving and get it moving forward, Tyrone. And that was Villa's biggest problem today, and it was just summed up in that, and they deserved to lose a goal for the way they were playing and the energy that they put into that game. Tyrone Mings should never underhit the pass, but he shouldn't fucking play it anyway. And the second reason he shouldn't play it is Mitrovic has already started closing down Martinez before he plays it. <laughs> so don't play it. Mitrovic has committed to going. She's got more space than he even had initially, which was loads. Mitrovic isn't fast, and now he's run away from you. Just take a touch and start moving forward. Tyrone Mings is a, is a lovely, elegant player. He doesn't need to just play it back to his goalkeeper. I mean, anytime Villa are involved in a game and it's flat, I would take Tyrone Mings off because he's just too, this happens too often. It's, it's almost the same as the El Ghazi. If he takes a bad first touch, get him off. <laughs> if the game has no energy in it, I don't know if Tyrone Mings can be trusted. He just, he's, got too, he's made too many mistakes. But like again, he's absolutely brilliant. He wins the ball back for the third goal as well. He's the one that that steps in and wins the ball back, and it gets turned over to Trezeguet. Yeah. He plays it out to Bertie T. But so, oh Christ Almighty! Like, but even like for the first goals, like there's nothing more amusing than seeing Big Tyrone galloping down the wing. <laughs> like even though he's a really elegant footballer, like he shouldn't be there. He's too big. He's too cumbersome, and. He just looks hilarious. He looks out of place. And he just lashes the ball as hard as he can. And it, it works out well for him. I mean, Trezeguet is there. But I don't want you there, Tyrone. That's not where I want you. I don't want you overlapping your fullback. That should never be developing. 
so just on the mistake, what I think was the worst decision of it all was his decision to, to panic as he's kicking it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're right, he shouldn't be playing it back. It's two-on-one against Mitrovic, but he doesn't need to be trying to hack it back to Martinez. If that's the case, you know, we'll just clear it or get it to... Or, or get it across to concept, but he's actually just proven a few minutes earlier that he is infinitely faster than Mitrovic. So even if Mitrovic closes him down or manages to take it off him, Mings will win it back or he'll get back goal side without having to worry too much, without having to sweat, because he's so much faster than Mitrovic. So he doesn't need to be like thinking shit, 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 you know, and try to get it back as if it's as if it's Walcott closing in on somebody like Maguire, you know, a complete mismatch like that where you are just freaked out by the, the player in front of you. But I just thought he was, I thought he was brilliant outside of that. Like that whole game, like Mitrovic, his, like I've never seen a player whose confidence was as sky high as his. And why wouldn't it be? Like he was, he's a world beater away with Serbia there. And he, he brought that right into the game from early on. But Mings was matching it early on. Like he, Mitrovic is a big bruiser. Like he is hard to work with, and Mings was was up for that battle. You know, I thought he was the man to sort of just to try and nullify that, and I thought he did well for the most part. It's tough, but I thought he did well, and that that assist, like yeah, we've talked so often about. Like I think I could cut you probably every other podcast saying I do not want to see Tyrone Mings going down the left wing. <laughs> you know, it is it is insane that we keep saying that, but in this game in the context of Villa being so shit, being 1-0 down, nobody doing anything and looking to do anything. Thought, yeah, like why like he he gave the ball and he went and it was like, yeah, go on the fuck like because nobody else is trying to get through. And he just injected that bit of pace that that Grealish can inject. Like Tyrone Mings did and he he played that ball back where we're always complaining that Villa can see chances from and an old back post Trezeguet his air coming across from the back post and, yeah. and reading the the pass back, I don't know how much Tyrone Mings meant it. Like, I, you're right, I think he just meant to lash it. But on top of all that, I'm saying he had a good game anyway. Major, major cock-up. But then the reaction to the cock-up, I just thought, was was bang on. Like, he helped get the, the, the response in terms of the first goal and the response then and just moving Villa up the pitch and, as you say, winning that ball for the third goal. He just, uh, he was one of the reasons. Like, we, we've talked about him when Villa go behind, like I know you're you're right, and it is funny, like you know, nil nil, the game is starting to flatten out. Mings is just a disaster waiting to happen. But often when they've gone one nil down, he has just sort of abdicated responsibility or tries to get out of the the scenario. But here, because he made the direct cock up, he put himself right in the thick of it and and really tried to influence things. And I, I thought he did, and it would be easy to to either crumble or it'd be easy to do what he's done all season and just choose chewing gum and, and try to look good personally. But he had no option today but to try and get Villa back into it and and to his credit he did. Yeah, and like we saw we saw the two we saw two sides of Tyrone Mings' mentality. We saw his ability to switch off and have absolute howlers in his game and we saw his ability to to bounce back from adversity. Yeah. But it worked out well for Tyrone today, but this is the type of thing that that often happens with him as well. Like that, he could have just capitulated. Like if if targets pass back to him isn't on the money, our centre half is our further play, furthest player forward now. That's not necessarily a good thing. 
I mean, it worked out well. And like you're you're yeah, you're praising him for pulling the ball back. Like, yeah, maybe he knows that that's the pass to play because he normally fucking drifts into next to Martinez whenever a player's got the ball <laughs> in the wing, given that fucking pass. But I, I, I still I still don't want it to be high. I don't want Tyrone Mings taking control there. Tyrone Mings should be taking control of that game by pushing everybody else up yeah. and having only him and Konza back. Yeah. Uh, do you have anybody else going up or down? Like, you're right to mention Konza. Like, you know, he is just sitting beside him, playing perfectly again. <laughs> you know, like that's that's what we want from Tyrone Mings. Just you know, just just doing that every week. Just be that that rock at the back that Konza obviously is. Yeah, like the only other person I could think of putting up is is Alexander Mitrovic. I mean, add him to the list of players who must be fucking woeful when I'm not watching him, <laughs> because he is lethal whenever I see him. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense that he's not playing for Real Madrid. Like, how bad is he in every other game of the season? <laughs> yeah, it's like in my head, Real Madrid's forward line should be Alexander Mitrovic and Dwight Gale. <laughs> Oh Christ! Yeah, no, like like everybody, everybody comes off well today, based on the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, but there was a lot, a lot of poor performances up until that point. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Putting a gun to your head, you've got a, you've got a team you need to pick a manager for. Three options: Jose Mourinho, Steve Bruce, Scott Parker. Who do you choose? Pull the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go with Scott Parker. I um, they're like, and again, I'm just frustrated at how bad Villa have become. But Fulham were playing better football than than Villa, and not just nonsense, you know, pointless football. They were like, they were finding that number ten pass way more often. They were switching the play. They were finding imbalances at the other side. You know, like Ruben Loftus cheek was made to look like a hero sometimes, just drifting diagonally across the pitch. Like there was a good zip about Fulham, and like yeah, like I've only got the comparison of the second game of the season where they were pathetic. They were just crossing the ball into Mitrovic, who was twenty five meters out, you know, <laughs> over and over. And then there they look, they look like a, a bit of a team who've progressed, and they are shit. You said that like he, he doesn't have much to work with, and I think he's he's working with them well. And I, like it's also in the context that the other two are just done. Yeah, my biggest problem with Scott Parker is two things. It's the way he carries himself. I just think he looks like an irritating little dweeb. <laughs> but it's it's also the way the press carry him on their shoulders. I mean, we we don't need to like. Why is everybody so desperate for Scott Parker to be a success? Yeah, let's just let him show us if he's a success or not. <laughs> we don't have to pretend that everything he does is magic. We don't have to mention his name every time we mention Fulham. I'm doing it in this show just to show how fucking stupid it is. We don't need to. We don't need to pan the camera. The camera was on Scott Parker more often than it was any of the players. Yeah, like this doesn't need to happen. Scott Parker will prove if he's a good manager or not based on whether or not Fulham will win. And let's also not forget, Fulham have only won five games this season. I mean, Jesus. whenever, whenever Villa were at this stage last season. The camera wasn't going on Dean Smith. People weren't talking about him as if, you know, oh, he's a real positive guy. Like, you know, he's, he's got a really good idea of how he wants to play football. That wasn't <laughs> happening. People are desperate for Scott Parker to get out of this situation. And to be honest, though, 
I am now too. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I am all in and Fulham staying up, but only because he's up against Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't give a fuck. I would judge Scott Parker based on how Fulham did. I wouldn't just be rooting for him for no reason other than the fact that he played well one year whenever West Ham got relegated. And this is a joke. It's gone too far. It's it's so weird. It's the equivalent of... <laughs> it's a really bad comparison, but it's the equivalent of the Harry Kane treatment. Now, Harry Kane's obviously a world-class player, but, you know, we talk about him being a golden boy. I, it's only today that I realised it. Like, I, I was seeing the camera panning to him over and over, and I thought... Oh yeah, like you know, media darling Scott Parker, the English, the English love the English manager. I was like, Dean Smith is the manager of Aston Villa. You know, Graham Potter's done a good job at Brighton. There are loads of really good, exciting English managers, intelligent managers who can talk a great game. So it's 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 bizarre that that Parker is the one that they're all rooting for. It's it's like it's like we're back a decade ago where people are feeling paranoid about English managers not being given a chance. And not being able to show what they can do. And also, all the English managers were showing that maybe they were a bit behind the times or a bit basic in their approach. And then someone like Scott Parker <laughs> comes along and tries to shake things up and tries to do things the right way. But there's so many British managers now who are doing an amazing job. And they're top managers. On the other dugout, there's somebody who not only stayed up, but now they're in the top half of the table. You know, it's 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 weird that Parker is the guy that they're putting all their chips in that bag. It's 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 I don't get it. Like I thought it was an English thing, and I I still think it is. But people are not connecting the dots that they're actually other English managers. Well, that's the right. You're right to point that out. Is like this the the world has moved on. Every single football team plays football now, except for the few that are still stupid enough to a point a handful of managers that we've named plenty of times on this podcast and the game has moved on nobody is not playing possession-based football so this you don't have to point out that scott parker sees the game in the right way everybody sees it that way now people have decided that on balance it's better to have the football than to not (laughs) how much credit is Gareth Southgate giving himself this weekend for dropping Trent Alexander-Arnold from the England squad? Oh, for fuck! Why do you keep bringing up Gareth Southgate? <laughs> Gareth Southgate is a fucking prick. <laughs> Gareth Southgate is going to end up picking Jesse Lingard for the England squad instead of Jack Grealish. Yeah. Gareth Southgate is currently patting himself in the back. Or sorry, Jamie Redknapp is currently patting Gareth Southgate in the back for teaching the best crosser the English Premier League has ever seen to cross the ball by dropping him for a squad. Inexplicably, for Kieran Trippier, Kyle Walker. Like, do me a favour. Trent Alexander-Arnold is an amazing fullback. There was not... Him being dropped by Gareth Southgate didn't improve his form. Trent Alexander just has that in his locker. That goal that Liverpool scored against Barcelona with Trent Alexander-Arnold's quick corner is one of the best things I've ever seen in a football pitch. It's amazing. It's absolutely class. It's so clever and it's so brilliantly executed. Trent Alexander is an elite level footballer and the last thing he fucking needs is to be managed by Gareth Southgate. (laughs) If I was him, 
I would retire from international football. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a good argument for that. And I, I, it's just so reminiscent of the Jack Grealish saga. Uh, you know, Southgate actually did publicly take credit for Grealish's form and his assists and goals going up as if that he was the one helping him do that as if Jesse Lingard was doing anything similar like you have to remember Grealish did Grealish did not make the England team until September 2020 Grealish didn't make the England team until September 2020 Gareth Southgate is a maniac and Jamie Redknapp is worse you're right like I turned off Sky the minute that I could sniff Jamie Redknapp trying to give Southgate credit for that assist, that brilliant cross that Trent delivered against Arsenal, as if being dropped from England, <laughs> Gareth Southgate has now unearthed this new trait in Trent Alexander-Arnold's game that he never had, crossing ability. Well, like, what brilliant management from Gareth Southgate. And he's just picked Kieran Trippier, Reese James... <laughs> and Kyle Walker ahead of him and Eric Dyer's just there for, for a good crack as well it's it's bonkers England are going to go to the Euros with their best squad possibly ever the de- definitely their best attacking options ever and they're going to go without without Trent probably without Jack Grealish and I'm here without Jaden Sancho and it's all going to be at the expense of Trippier, Walker, Dyer, Lingard like, that's Gareth Southgate. Wait until England get put out of the quarterfinal of the Euros, get a proper manager in, and then you might have a chance of winning the World Cup the next year. Well, the squad is so good that they, they actually do have it. Like, as much as it upsets me to say it, England, on paper, could win a World Cup with its current crop of players. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, France can compete with them for a number of players or, and brilliant players, but the England squad is potentially absolutely lethal. But they obviously don't have anybody to pick it. <laughs> just wait until Scott Parker gets his hands on it uh, last one would you take two two nils in a row now against Liverpool and City if I offered didn't you <laughs> like I, I I don't think we have anything to fear from Liverpool I mean we've already spanked them this season we beat them 7-2 they're an embarrassment really if you, if you ask me <laughs> Um, and they don't even have Van Dyke this time, so it's probably going to be 10. <laughs> the only other time we played them this season are under 17s. Did a number on them and got <laughs> robbed by a couple of late goals from Sadio Mane. And like, I've, I don't think we have anything to fear over the next two games. Uh, you, just met, you just left out City. Well, Man, City <laughs> Man, Man City got away with it against us. It was an absolutely disgraceful offside decision that didn't come. Rodri was 30 yards offside and nicked the ball off Tyrone Mings. And then Matty Cash went for a swim in his own six-yard box and punched the ball. <laughs> Practicing his front crawl while the game of football is going on and gave away a penalty. Like, that's the only reason Man City beat us. I'd say Villa, by the end of this weekend, are going to be back in the European hunt. <laughs> that's all I need to hear. Two Ws, <laughs> says Liam. Uh, let's bring it on. Liverpool and City. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, get us on email, thevillapodcast at gmail.com and get us on Twitter the villa podcast uh it's been a pleasure we finally won we finally come from behind and i'm not going to say we're back because i said that too often only to fall flat on their faces but we got three more points along the road we're definitely not getting relegated i think see you later
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.